Good morning, church. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, happy 4th of July, Independence Day. Anyone, show of hands, live outside of city limits? It was a long night for us. Lots of noise. Lots and lots of noise. Um, I'm grateful for you. Uh, we come to the end this morning of a long journey. So 15 weeks ago, it was actually Easter Sunday, we started into the book of James as a church. So as a, as a church, we started to look at James. We have been there ever since. Honestly, God has done some incredible things through our time in this book. Uh, we've had ministries that were started because of what God did in our time together through this book. We've had people come to know Jesus because of our time together in this book where God spoke. Uh, we have seen several people step in, up and say, I want to get baptized. Through our time together as God has spoken through his word, we've seen incredible things happening in our community groups together through this time. It's honestly been a study that I won't forget, and, and we finish up this morning. But before we get into our last section, I want to give you a heads up on where we are going. What is next? So starting next week, we are starting a very short series of the Psalms of David. Now, obviously, there are a lot of Psalms. The book of Psalms is quite large. We're not going to have time to get to all of them um, to cover every Psalm. But here's the idea for this series. So for five weeks, we're going to look at several of the Psalms of David, and we're going to look specifically at some of the Psalms that we know the backstory. In other words, we know what was going on in David's life as he wrote these Psalms. Now, what this is going to do is give us a unique insight into David's writings as he writes out these Psalms. We're going to know what was going on in his life as he did it. More than that, though, we're going to deal with some incredibly important things as a church. And so don't miss that. We start it next week. It's going to go through until August. And right after this series is over, on August 16th, if, if you can, mark your calendars for this. This is going to be a big morning for us as a church. August 16 is what we're calling Vision Morning, Vision Sunday. Um, what we're going to do, and I say this, I'm not trying to build hype. This honestly will be a big Sunday for us. Because think about it, we, we started the church, we've planted, we're here, things are going well, God has been so good. The question is, what's next? Where are we headed? What is on the horizon? Well, this morning is going to be where we get to talk about some of the things, the incredible things that are on the horizon for us as a church. And so this morning, we are going to have um, breakfast together, for one. Breakfast is always good. So we're going to have breakfast together. We're going to give you more details about that. But I wanted to, you to mark your calendars. If you're available, um, August 16th is going to be big. And right after that, we're going to step in as a church to the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books. We're going to be there in the fall. That's going to take us through our entire fall. And so I can't wait to get through that. But for this morning... We get the privilege of tackling the last section of James. Are you ready? Four of us are. That's good. Here we go. Here we go. So this, this uh, morning, James is going to bring conclusion to the letter. He's going to bring things together, and he's going to lay out for us. Let me just give you a heads up of where we're going. He's going to lay out for us what it looks like for us to be a healthy community, 
And he's going to speak to that a little bit. We're going to see some things in this text that might push us a little bit. I'm just out, I'm going to be honest with you right up front, which shouldn't be that abnormal. In our time in James, I don't know about you guys, but every week I feel as though I'm being pushed just a little bit. This morning we'll definitely do that. Um, Keep in mind, as we get here, like we talked about last week, James is addressing a church, a group of people who are going through difficult times. We talked about they are being pressured and persecuted by the culture around them. They are being, um, they are suffering. And James is addressing these, these believers and followers of Jesus who are in the middle of that. So keep that in mind. Let's get started. Verse 13. And right off the bat, you see, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. So right off the bat, you see this full spectrum of emotions. You have cheerful and suffering, right? Um, In both, James says our attitude should be the same. Our response should be the same, that we come to God in both the cheerful and the suffering. So as we suffer, we pray. James says, pray. As we suffer, we pray to a God who hears, to a God who cares. In suffering, we pray. Now notice, James doesn't tell us how. I wish he would sometimes. He doesn't tell us how we are to pray. He's not telling us that when you pray, you should just stop and ask God to take away the difficulties. He's also not telling us not to do that. He's not speaking to how we should pray. He simply says, pray, meaning in suffering, we come to God. And then he runs it to the other side to when we are cheerful, when things are awesome, when things are good, we pray. Now, for some of us, when things are good, that's when it's hard for us to come to God. For some of us, when things are good, that's when it really is hard for us to come to God because we, our, mind shift, our mindset shifts a little bit where when things are going well, we think, well, I got this. I think I can handle this. I think I'm, I'm self-sufficient enough to be able to handle this. And so there's this tendency when things are going great in our lives to not come to God For some of you, including myself, that is my tendency. For others, you might be on the other side. When things are not going well, you have this tendency to think that we need to clean up before we come, that we need to get our life in order before we come to Jesus, Um, that that we need to, we kind of get this this feeling that that God is, is sitting up in heaven just saying, you again, going through the same thing again, and so we, we feel this pressure that we need to clean things up before we come to him. So on both sides, James says, don't buy either of those lies. That in both the good and the bad, the cheerful, the suffering, that our response should be the same, that we come to God um, in all circumstances. And then he continues, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let, him, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this, this text, just a couple things. One, um, it says, let the sick person call for the elders. It lays out the responsibility of those who are sick that they have to let the leaders, the pastors of the church know. Uh, 
In other words, church don't suffer in silence. And I, I, I want to share a story. This breaks my heart, honestly. As I was reading this, I instantly thought of this. Uh, there was a, a moment several years ago I was serving on staff at a church. And um, I remember there was a family that was leaving our church uh, because in their words, uh, they, the pastors didn't come to see them when they were sick. And they felt like the pastors didn't care. And uh, that, I mean, I remember hearing that and just my heart breaking because that's not our heart at all. Uh, and when I heard that, it was the first I had ever heard of them ever being sick. And so I, we, the pastors and I, we were in a room and I remember we said, well, how many of you knew about this? No one. No one knew what was going on in, in their life. And so when we talked and we realized no one knew, what, what we decided to do is to approach them and first apologize that they felt like that. I remember us just saying, I'm so sorry that, that you feel this way. But then we asked them the simple question, did you let us know? Did you let anyone know that this is what was happening? Their response, and I, I wrote it down because it stuck with me, was they felt like it was the pastor's job to have a handle on their flock. That one stung. Um, and then they said, that the pastor should know when one of their sheep are sick and that it, things had obviously grown a little too big and a little too out of control for the pastors to be able to shepherd well. And because of that, they were going to leave the church. I remember being incredibly frustrated and hurt by this because that is not at all. My heart, that wasn't the heart of any uh, person, any pastor on staff who cared deeply about the church. The fact is we didn't know. James says, church, make your need known. Make your need known. Um, I promise as pastors of Stone Oak Bible, we care deeply for you. We care deeply for you. you know, yes, we will let you down. Yes, we will. We might fail you coming down the road. Yes, we care deeply for you, but you have to give us the chance to do that well. Uh, we, it's our heart that we are faithful in the role that God has placed us, and to do that means that you cannot suffer in silence. Don't suffer in silence. Let us know. James says, make yourself known. Um, two, he says, let the elders know, and they're going to pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, what is that? What's going on there? Uh, is, this a, is this a special holy oil? We live in the world of essential oils. Anyone sell or use essential oils? We, we do. Love it. Um, so the question is, is this like one of those? You know, one of those essential oils. It's like the remedy for, for sickness. Um, here in this text, the oil is simply referring to olive oil. So it's olive oil, um, which historically has been a symbol of God's ability, God's power to heal. Historically, that's what olive oil has symbolized. So if you think about it, this was a physical reminder, a physical, tangible reminder of God's goodness and his power to heal. It was not a special oil. The, the power was not in the oil that was used. The power was in our great God the great physician who is able to heal. It always has been that. This isn't a, a hocus pocus oil. Instead, this oil focuses us, points us, directs us to our good, our powerful God who is able to heal. 
that's what's going on there. So James says, when you're sick, call for the elders and the leaders of the church to pray over you, anoint you with oil, trust in God as the great physician and do all this in the name of the Lord. And in verse 15, verse 15, it, it, it says, when God's people pray in faith, we pray in faith, God's gonna step in and intervene. He's gonna show himself, he's gonna heal, it's gonna be awesome. He's gonna make all things right, right? We have this, this promise that God's going to heal us both physically and spiritually. He's going to step in. He's going to raise us up. Or, and he's going to forgive our sins. So you get this beautiful healing. Amen. When you have faith. Let's push the pause button. That sounds great. When we get sick, when we're struggling, we do these steps and boom. Healing. Right? We stand on. There's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. Do you see it? The problem is that Christians get sick and die. The problem is that Christians get sick. Christians who pray in faith, who call for the leaders, the pastors, the elders of the church to pray for them, to anoint them with oil, they deal with ongoing unanswered prayer. This is the reality. It, is it because they're lacking faith? Is this because of an insufficient amount of faith on their end? I ask this question because it is deeply important. I remember several years ago, there was a family that was going through just a painful time where a loved one was, um, was dealing with cancer. It was a long battle. It was hard as cancer is typically. It's very difficult. Finally, um, this girl she died and she died young. And I remember in the middle, I think it might've been at the memorial, the viewing. I remember, I mean, right after in the middle of sadness, in the middle of the pain, I remember someone who was around them, who from our church loved them, um, came to them and, and said something. I don't have their exact words, but it really comes down to faith. And I was like, Oh no. Don't, don't do this. Uh, they told this family, it really comes down to faith. God word, God's word said that she should have been healed. And there was this moment, I don't know if you guys have been, maybe some of you have been through an experience like that where you've been told, and I'm sorry. Uh, there was this moment where it's just, where you feel like it's because of you um, that, that, listen, if there were ever a time for a holy and righteous like throat punch, it would be right there. <laughs> right there. This is incredibly sad. There's a few things that I want to I want to see here before we move on. Number one, there are going to be times when our will and God's will are different. So let's just there are going to be times when what I want, my will is going to be different from what God wants, God's will. Let me show you a few biblical examples. I'll start with a small one. Uh, Paul, Second Timothy, the last part of Second Timothy, chapter four, I think it's verse twenty. Uh, he's leaving a city called Miletus. He is, um, and in his leaving, the text says he's leaving a man who was ill, very ill. And he had, this man had not uh, received healing. His name was Trophimus. He had not received healing. Paul had not got this healing to happen yet, and he was leaving. And he told the church, please watch over him. Why wasn't he healed? Was Paul's faith insufficient? Was this a problem on Paul before he left? He couldn't just pray. He wanted this healing, obviously. Let's look at another. Jesus, right before he was facing crucifixion, 
So he's in this moment of incredible pain, incredible agony. He's praying. Uh, You get this sense of just the agony he was in and he was praying, Father, let this pass from me. If at any way possible, let this cup pass. If there's any other way, Father, please. But not my will, but yours be done. Now, was was Jesus' faith insufficient when he made his request known, saying, please let this pass? One more, Paul's infamous thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians. So we don't know what this thorn, for those of you who aren't familiar with the thorn in the flesh, uh, 2 Corinthians tells us Paul had this thorn. He calls it a thorn in his flesh that would not go away. It pestered him. It, it, it just tore at him. It plagued him. It tormented him. It was ambiguous. We have no idea what it was. But what we do know is the text says, many times, Paul says, I have pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. Many times. God's response, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. Now, was that a moment of Paul's faith being an issue, not being sufficient? Does the Lord say, Paul, you're not asking with enough faith? No, it was, Paul, my will is for you to have that thorn. And that's different. That is different because there are going to be times, moments when I want something and it's not God's will. In these moments, the problem is not our insufficient faith. In fact, I would push that these are the moments when sometimes our faith is on display the most. When our faith is being shown its, its strongest, when, when our will doesn't match God's and we have to, by faith, rest in God's plan, God's timing, God's desire over our own. This is where faith comes to the front. So that's number one, that there are going to be times when our will and God's will, they don't mesh real well. Number two, ultimately we do stand stand on the, the promise of this verse, that one day we will see healing. God will bring healing. God will bring salvation. Uh, God will raise them up. There is forgiveness of sin. However, it is not always in this life. At times, ultimate salvation and healing is seen in death when we see Jesus face to face. We stand on the truth of that passage because the guarantee is not that when we pray in faith that God will always answer it according to our will. The promise is that when we pray in faith in the goodness of our God, that God will always answer according to his will. That's what we stand on. And so... Let's, let's break this down. Church, there are going to be moments in our lives that we are going to witness. We're going to pray fervently. We are praying. We are petitioning. We are weeping. We are praying for God to do the impossible. And there are going to be moments when he does. And we see healing. We rejoice in that. We see God step in and bring healing, respond to our prayers with yes. Yes. And when that happens, we do what James calls us to do in verse 13. We rejoice, we celebrate with joyful songs to God. That's what we do. That's our response. We come to God celebrating his goodness. But church, there are also going to be times when we pray fervently in faith, that we, we petition, we weep, we, we ask God, step in, intervene. And in those moments, we do not see healing in this life. 
we will experience death and loss, and this is the reality of us living in a sinful and fallen world. This is the reality that we live in, and in these moments, what do we do? We do what James calls us to do in verse 13. In suffering, we come to God in prayer. We, we pray to knowing that God cares. We come to God trusting in his plan, trusting in his will, his goodness, that, that we will receive ultimate healing, that that's not lost at death, but it's fully realized at death. And so we come to him because of the work of Jesus Christ on, on the cross. And so what do we do with this verse, this promise of healing? We understand the implied condition. As Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. We understand that God will always answer according to his perfect will. And so we plead, we pray, we get on our knees, we weep, and at all the time, we trust. We trust that he is God and that we are not. Now, we need to continue. And church, I want to be honest, this is where I believe it might get a little uncomfortable. This one was uncomfortable for me. Uh, one of the distinguishing features of, of our culture, not just church culture, but our culture, uh, something we pride ourselves on, honestly, something that kind of marks us as, a, as Americans is our individualism. What I mean is, is we are strong. Like we, we get things done. We put on our big boy pants and we go to work and we get this done, right? That's kind of the mark of our culture. We, we're self-sufficient. We're individuals. This carries on into our relationship with God where our relationship with God becomes highly individualistic, where um, our Bible study is personal and private. Our prayer time is very personal. Uh, Jesus died for me personally. All of this is true. I'm not saying this is wrong. But we, we dwell on this, that Jesus died for me as an individual, personally. We have this personal relationship with Jesus. What happens is we start to think that all I need is Jesus and my Bible, and I'm good. The problem is the Bible that tells us you're not good in that situation. What, what can happen is church can become the place that we go to because God told us to go there. Uh, but we slip in and slip out, and we aren't really known we're, no one knows us, truly knows us. And we're busy people, and so community group doesn't really work. It's hard to commit to that. I mean, community in, in general is, is hard to commit to. And all of a sudden, we realize that no one in our church community truly knows us and is truly praying for us. It can happen like that. Um, by the way, I read a stat that is absolutely ridiculous, um, that the average, America, uh, average American has 1.23 friends. 1.23. That is, whew. If we aren't careful, we can become um, not a true community, but we can become individuals who just come to the same place to worship. So we're not a true community, we're just this is just a place where us as individuals come to worship. We go home and we do our thing. Here's why I'm saying all this. James in verse 16 calls us to confession of sins to each other. Now, just saying that out loud makes me super uncomfortable. Anyone else? It makes me incredibly uncomfortable because James says, you confess your sins, you pray for each other, um, not only are you to go to the elders of the church and, and go to each other, but you are to be someone that people can come to and you are to go to people and confess your sins one to another. 
So is this happening in your life? Let's talk about this a little bit. This can get really messy. We're just going to be honest. This can get really messy to do this. And some of you are probably thinking of some of these not great places that this could lead to. We just start everyone confessing our sins out loud to each other. That would not be wonderful. Um, is this what we are called to do? Recount our sins to each other, each other? Well, no. Let's look at this and let's talk about a healthy way that this plays out in a healthy community. Um, one, this is a confession of sin, not a recounting of sinful action. Here's what I mean by that. Um, this is not a play-by-play. Uh, when we confess our sin, what we're doing is we're looking at our sin and calling it for what it is, sin. And we confess that sin to each other. This is not repeating the gory details of the sin. We are acknowledging for what it is, calling it sin. We confess it. Number two, this is a careful confession in a community of trust, not a careless public confession. It's not open mic night. Make sense? Um, this is a confession to a trusted brother and sister in Christ. It's done in an environment of trust and in love. It is not healthy to treat this as though it were open night open mic night and just publicize play by play. That's not what he is calling us to. And then three, James, um, this is a confession between brothers and sisters in Christ, not between believers and a priest. Uh, this is important to see. James is not arguing for priestly confession here. Uh, and, and in fact, it, it, this goes beyond the priest because in Second Peter, as a follower of Christ, the Bible says that you are a holy priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. As a believer, you are a holy priesthood. And so this is a commitment to mutual confession between brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not done to show off some kind of false humility. You know what I mean? Like when you confess that I was just, I'm struggling with being too generous right now. Like stuff like that. This is not that time for that. Um, this is not done so that you can just get the really greatest new gossip about the person who came to you. This is done, as James says, that there may be healing. That's not what I think of when I think mutual confession of sins. But James says that there may be healing, that God uses this to bring healing. My prayer is that our church would be full of relationships like this. But the only thing I can do is to point to the scriptures that call us to that, but it is up to us collectively to actually make that happen, to actually put this into to practice because everything in me, everything in you, everything in us is going to drive us toward individualism, to think that we're okay without each other. But everything in scripture all throughout God's word pushes us repeatedly toward community. Repeatedly toward community. Um, and this is a part of what it means to be a healthy church community. Meaning, we can't be healthy if we ignore it. If we ignore this aspect of it. So, ask some basic questions. Who in your life right now can be that for you? Who can you call right now, have lunch, have coffee with, that can be that for you? It may be someone in your community group, someone who you just started to become close with. If you're here right now and no one comes to your mind, 
No one comes to your mind. This is a call to change that. This is a call to change that because without changing that, hear me, it's impossible to live into what James just called us to do. Without changing that, it's that important. It's impossible for us to live this out because through this, God brings healing. There is power. Um, Before we go further, James gives us an example of Elijah um, Elijah, for those who don't know the story behind this, he, he prayed for no rain, like prayed fervently for no rain. And there was no rain. God listened, changed weather patterns. And there was no rain for three and a half years. No rain. It's crazy, right? And then we read, Elijah again, after that three and a half years, decides I'm going to pray again fervently in faith. I'm going to pray that there would be rain again. And after three and a half years, rain comes again. So that's amazing, right? Well, the most amazing part of this is in verse 17, where James says, Elijah with a nature like ours, a normal guy, an average guy, not a super Christian, not a mega Christian, just like you and me. Meaning it's not the power of a special person to cause incredible things to happen. It's never the power of a special person. It's the power of the almighty God responding to the fervent prayers of his people that cause these things to happen. The power, there is power in prayer, but never think that the power is in the one who prays. It's always in the God who answers. And now James is going to end his letter in a very unique way. I love this, and I want us to actually read these together, the last two verses, starting in verse 19. Uh, It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So, Church, not only are we to come to each other for prayer, for confession, but we are to actively be bringing our brothers and sisters back who have wandered from the truth. Now, a couple things here. First of all, James is referring to people who profess to be Christians. So Christians who have since since then wandered from the truth. Second, it is our privilege, our responsibility to step in and help those who wandered, even though it is probably going to be our tendency to say it's none of my business. Even though everything in us is saying, well, it's probably none of my business to get involved in that. James says it's our privilege, our responsibility to step in and love. And then third, this is more of a clarification, is let's not misunderstand that we save no one. Okay, this, if you read that, we saved no one. You didn't die for them. You can't restore broken relationships between them and God, the Father. You can't do that. You're unable to pay their debt. Only Jesus did that. Christ accomplished that on the cross. And so let's not misunderstand it. The, this, we save them only in that we point them to the Savior. Okay, so, so we save them only in that we point them to Jesus Christ who, in whom they find salvation and forgiveness. Um, having said that, James is clear. God desires to use us individually and collectively as his tools of restoration and reconciliation. 
we're going to unpack this. Let me say it one more time. That God desires to use us individually and collectively as his tools of restoration and reconciliation. So last week, we talked really briefly about the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, uh, to legalize same-sex marriage. And I say this because, church, we're about to step into a season, a season in our culture uh, where we're going to get to put this into practice. And here's what I mean by this. Um, so hundreds and, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, were overjoyed with the decision because um, hundreds of people believed that it was going to bring happiness or wholeness to their life. You know, they were validated. They felt this sense of joy. They thought that maybe this was a missing piece to their life. They, they, they get treated with fairness and there's, there was this sense of joy and and. In the coming days, in the coming weeks, months, years, hundreds of people are going to realize that this wasn't the thing that they thought it was going to be. This wasn't the thing that ushered in completeness into their life. This wasn't that thing. Hundreds are being caught up in this sexual revolution. And church, we're stepping into a season where we're going to get to see and deal with the brokenness that has been caused by this sexual revolution. We're going to see people who are hurting, broken, confused when the promise, the fulfillment just didn't pan out the way they were hoping to. And now my question is, where do they go? My answer is here. Here. They come here. And are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? Let me say it again. God desires to use us individually and collectively as his tools of restoration and reconciliation. So are we ready? Because this, I'll put it like this, this reaching out to brothers and sisters who have wandered from the truth is very difficult and it involves patience and wisdom and above all, prayer. I want us to think about this like water pressure. Hopefully this will make sense. Um, like water pressure. There are, times, there are times when you need a fire hose and there are times when you need this steady, gentle drip. Uh, when you have a, uh, a flower that is dying of thirst, it needs water. It doesn't need a fire hose. It would kill it. It would, it would kill it. In fact, it needs patience and care and that drip and that it's beautiful. You pay and you see this flower that blooms and, and flourishes. And sometimes our role is a lot like that. Sometimes our role is to be patient and gentle and to sprinkle that truth and gentleness and love. Sometimes our role is like that. Other times it's like a dirty driveway that needs a little bit of a, Power washing. Now, have you ever tried to do that with a gentle drip? You know how frustrating that is? It would take you forever. Um, we need the right water pressure. And at times, our role is a little bit like a dirty driveway where we need a little more pressure. The, the thing is, we need to be praying for wisdom on what kind of pressure we need to, to bring to the situation. Um, Above all, like I said, this is, this is prayer. This is prayer. Are you dealing with a dirty driveway or are you dealing with a dry flower? What are you dealing with? Because one size does not fit all. One size does not fit all. We stand on the truth realizing that one size does not fit all. Um, 
like I said, we're stepping into a season in our culture where we need to be aware of this. We need to be aware of this because there are going to be opportunities that I believe we're about to see as a church. When refugees from this revolution come back and they're broken, how do we as the church respond? I cannot wait to see some of the things that God is going to do through that. Because one thing I know, God is not done transforming lives. He's not done. He's not done. We still have work to do. James calls us to be ready to lovingly call our brothers and sisters back who are wondering. Now, before we go on, have you ever noticed that the, the most, if you look on Facebook, the most aggressive tone is often taken with brothers and sisters who are wondering? Those are the ones who, I've heard it said that Christians often shoot their wounded. Check out Facebook. It verifies this. And James says, we are to lovingly call them back, not lovingly shoot them. Lovingly call them back. We'll, we'll move on. Um, I've said this before, but it's impossible to do any of that if we are clinging on to individualism. It's impossible to do that if we are unwilling to step into community. In other words, we cannot do these things that James has called us to on an island or in an isolation or alone. You, we cannot do them. So let me put it like this. We've talked a lot about James calling us to be both hearers and doers of the word, right? That it's not okay just to sit and hear and hear and hear and do nothing. It is impossible. You cannot be a hearer and a doer of the word if you choose isolation. You can't. You can't. Uh, instead, as a community, we, we pray together and for each other. We confess to each other and we care enough for each other to say something to the brother and sister who are wandering. That's what James calls us to. And in that, we become a vibrant and healthy community. A vibrant and healthy community. In this, we become the light of the world, not as individuals, but collectively. We become a light to this community if we step into to that. And so, church, for, for some of us this morning, it's time to step into a real church community like this, where you can see these things. Now, of course, I think you should do that here at Stone Oak Bible Church, because this is awesome. I love this church. Um, and I hope that this is the place, because we have incredible opportunities and great community here. But hear me, if you have no intention of coming back here or getting plugged in here, you are not off the hook. You are not off the hook. Um, you need a church. You need a community of faith where, where these kind of things can happen, where you can step in and know and be known. You need that. So if this isn't your home, this is a call for us to step into that this is your home, sign up for a community group if you haven't done that. It's one of our front doors for this. Um, invite someone to coffee or lunch. Take ownership in this. Take ownership in this. Begin to pray that God would bring people who can surround you and build you up, who you can walk through this with. And I know, I know, I know, I know this can be really messy. 
And there is a possibility that this might not always be perfect, and, and, but it's worth it because God has called us to it. And so we fight for it because this is one of the distinguishing marks of the church is this. And so I want to pray for us this morning that we're able to step out in courage to be known, to, to know for the glory of God for our good. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you first for just the last several weeks as we have, as a church, looked at your word in the book of James. I thank you for what it has called us to do, what it has called us to be. This morning specifically, I pray that, that every one of us, no matter who we are, where we are, that you show us our next step. That for some of us, it's a simple phone call. For some of us, we've realized that maybe we have isolated ourselves and that none of this is possible. Wherever we are, I pray that you show us our next step. Maybe for some of us, it is that we need to be the person that people can call. Wherever we are, I pray that you show us our next step and that you, you don't allow us to be content with doing nothing. But instead, as, as your people, we fight for the truth of your word, which call us to be a community that is known and marked by its love for each other and its devotion to you. And help us more than ever in these times, in this season, for us to be a church that is known by that, known for that, that our community knows that this is a place where Jesus touches broken people. And help us to not just know that, but help us to be a part of that because it takes all of us stepping into that truth. Help us to be that kind of church that we can see people come to know you for your glory, not our own. And through all of it, we will give you glory in it because only you can change and restore the broken. Only you can bring healing, not just to us, but to our entire community, our entire world. And so God, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.